Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. This 2020 Farm Health and Wealth episode is sponsored by Ag Resource Management. Corn growers have met a lot of frustration on many fronts this year, and they're more than ready to leave 2019 behind. Gil Gullickson is the Crops Technology Editor for Successful Farming. He sat down with National Corn Growers Association CEO John Doggett and President Kevin Ross to talk about their thoughts of where the industry is headed. 2019 has been a very challenging year, both on uh, the government front and uh, federal policy tariffs, things like that, but also on the growing season front. I mean, we've had floods, we've had droughts, we've had a lot of prevented planted acreage. Uh, What kind of feedback are you uh, picking up among your members these days? Uh, Discouraged or optimistic for the future? Resiliency? Any themes that are coming through? You know, I think farmers inherently are are very resilient people. And uh, as you move forward into the next year, that positive attitude kind of changes when you're coming through the end of harvest. And so, I mean, it becomes more positive about thinking about next year. And so um, when you get to the end of a 2019 year where it's had so many different challenges, you know, as soon as that harvest is done, I think the mindset changes and, and farmers get to be far more positive. But there has been certainly a lot of challenges throughout this particular growing season and, you know, caused a lot of different thoughts to go through people's head about their operations. And, you know, a lot of frustration, I think, has been shown in 2019. John? You know, the thing I, I've heard from a lot of growers uh, around the country is they're looking forward to flipping the calendar over to 2020 and, and looking at uh, 2019 in the rearview mirror. If farmers could build a big bonfire full of 2019 calendars, that flame would probably extend 30 feet high. (laughs) For sure. What, uh, you know, one of the things I've been following is the biofuels plan, the president and and seems like the farm lobby, they keep going back and forth on, on these exemptions for oil refiners. In fact, I was just reading an article the other day where, uh, Craig Floss, the uh, CEO of the Iowa Corn Growers Association, said he got a message from his one of his members, no more Iowa nice, now it's Iowa pissed. Where are we on that, and, and do you think this will get resolved in favor of farmers? We're on iteration number three of the, the president attempting to get the administration to fulfill his promise that he made to farmers about ethanol. And uh, unfortunately, EPA doesn't seem to be getting the news yet. So one more time, we're we're back in saying it's it's time to get this done. I do think that uh, the frustration has got to the point where a lot of farmers are are ready for us to take the gloves off. You know, a year and a half ago, uh, there was some criticism if you did anything that that looked like you were criticizing the president. There's still a lot of support for the president out in the countryside, but there's also a lot of frustration, uh, a lot of concern. And they would like to see the administration fulfill what the president has said. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The fact is we've, you know, we've spent a lot of time on on this particular issue that is one that, you know, had they been following the, the policy of the RFS as it was uh, written, this issue would not have come up. Uh, and, and really it's an issue that, you know, it feels like it should be an easy fix, but we've had to had to work very hard and continue to work very hard on, on getting this uh, right and back on track and kind of reinstalling the integrity that uh, should be in that policy. So, you know, the RFS is very important to farmers. The the uh, biofuels industries are very important to farmers. So that's why we spent lots of time on this. But, uh, you know, similarly, as John said, it's time to be done with this and uh, make sure we get the right thing. That's why we can't let up yet. But uh, we've got a lot of other issues that we've got to pivot to and, and really um, start focusing on as well. And so it's one of those things that we need to be 
vigilant and finish this out and get it right. But uh, we got a lot of other issues we got to deal with as well. What are some of those issues? We need to be talking about USMCA and trade agreements. We saw the first part of the Japan agreement signed. That's a great step forward uh, as far as putting pressure on you know some other countries that were originally in the TPP proposal that that we stepped away from a couple of years ago. But you know we've got USMCA ready to be introduced. And so we need Speaker Pelosi right now to bring that up in Congress and and uh, have that vote take place and get uh, get that moved forward. We expect, I think, that to happen hopefully sometime very soon. And then uh, other agreements moving forward as well that, uh, you know, China is obviously top of mind when it comes to trade is too, you know, for, for a lot of reasons as well. But that's, that's a very complicated agreement, and that's why it's taken so long to get that right as well. Obviously, our number one, number two, and number three issues are demand, demand, and demand. And uh, that's why we're so interested in what's going on on the ethanol front and on the trade front. Our farmers want to see robust demand for their product, and uh, there's a variety of ways to get there. And unfortunately, right now, a lot of that is pretty tough sledding. More farmers are feeling a real credit crunch. Input consolidation, low commodity prices, and land ownership all come into play. But if you're feeling it, you know that. That's why technology-driven modern lenders like Ag Resource Management are becoming the future of operational cash flow. Meet the alternative lenders at armlend.com and get funded with crop-based loans and insurance that get you capital based on your ability to grow and nothing else. Visit armland.com today because next season won't wait. Their attentive market leaders make lending decisions faster and get you capital quicker. Get funded today and seize next season at armland.com, the future of ag lending. That's A-R-M-L-E-N-D.com. Will corn growers gain anything from the USMCA that they didn't have under NAFTA? Yes. What we will have is some certainty. The president has uh, threatened to pull out of NAFTA a number of times, uh, both before the election and after. We've had a lot of concerns, and we had a bit of a fire drill a couple of years ago. There was a rumor at the White House that the president was going to withdraw from NAFTA. You know, markets don't deal well when there's threats to changing the rules midstream. So we need to keep NAFTA until we get USMCA, and we need to get USMCA done because NAFTA continues to be uh, in the crosshairs for too many people. We're not going to sell any more bushels of corn to Mexico than we are right now, but we'll have some certainty, and that's really important. And it's important not only for our trade agreements with Mexico and Canada, but we need to be seen as a reliable supplier and a, a reasonable negotiator in these trade agreements. Are we going to get those markets back with all this uncertainty and pulling out China and Mexico under the USMCA? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. You know, these markets have taken a lot of time to build. Relationships take time to build and trust within, uh, you know, companies and countries on how they do business. But I do think, you know, we will have these markets back. It may take time to get back to the levels, especially in China, that maybe we were at. But uh, but what it comes down to, I think, where we are going to be a reliable supplier uh, here in the U.S., that's that's just a fact. And also, when you look at, at the way, I think, trade and commodities move, fact is it's still going to come down to price and logistics. And so um, one of the other issues that, that we've talked about and really started to try to focus on as well is bigger infrastructure policy that needs to take place. You know, we've We've talked about it in different settings. I think uh, the president's talked about it in in uh, some of his speeches in the past, and Congress has talked about it in many of their campaign speeches as well as uh, stump speeches, different places too. So I think there is support for it, but there's been just another, you know, uh, so many other issues that have come up that it's kind of gotten pushed to the back again. 
and um, we're going to have to, you know, start talking to people uh, again and bringing that to the forefront because we know for us to stay competitive in these markets overseas and other places, infrastructure is just such a key for us. And it's been one of the things that we've had an advantage of for so many years that uh, we can't lose focus on that and continue to upgrade that too. What will it take to get this started? Because I agree with you that infrastructure, everyone talks about it, but there's been nothing done with it yet. We're going to need money, and it's going to take a lot of money. And uh, the Congress will need to find that money. They'll need to raise taxes, or they're going to need to cut spending some other place, or they're going to need to go ahead and add to the deficit. But right now, in our view, the biggest impediment to getting to an infrastructure package is the inability for the Congress to make the tough decisions as to how to fund it. And they're going to have to make those decisions sooner or later. Yeah, and if uh, you know if we don't get some of these trade agreements done, start competing back in these markets, that infrastructure becomes less important because we're not able to ship it anyway. So the fact is, they're all tied together, and they're definitely all important pieces. We just want to see some of these dominoes start falling a little quicker. You know, uh, Brazil can replace a lot of our soybeans that the U.S. markets formerly had. Is there any competitor like to corn what Brazil is to soybeans? A lot of countries grow corn. That's not certainly just us, but uh, you have some large, uh, you know, large corn producing countries such as Ukraine, Argentina, um, Brazil certainly does grow a lot of corn too. Um, and China certainly grows a lot of their own corn as well there. But really, I think uh, as you go back to the infrastructure standpoint, it's about moving it, moving the products. You know, corn is a, a high volume crop. So when you have, you know, something versus soybeans that produces, you know, 50, 60, 70 bushels per acre, you know, you double, triple that, that you're moving product out of the field. And so that infrastructure piece becomes way more important uh, as an advantage piece for us to, to move and compete in these markets. But we're always going to compete with other countries, no matter, you know, whether it's one close by or one in the Southern Hemisphere or, or across the pond, if you will. A lot of other countries are, are growing crops and they're going to continue to do that and continue to be competitors. It's just about us moving the needle forward here. Back in the mid-70s, we sold a lot of grain to the Soviet Union. Those who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. So after the grain embargo, the Russians had to find grain someplace else, and they decided they'd learn how to grow it. And now Russia is exporting the same product that they imported from us back in the 70s. Uh, we can lose these markets. Uh, I had a Brazilian farmer in my office uh, some months ago who said he had done something the week previous he'd never done before, and that was he sold corn to Mexico and beans at a uh, premium to China. We need to remember that this is a marketplace that we can lose if we don't get this corrected pretty quickly. Is there anything that you see in these trade agreements, particularly with China, that might benefit the uh, growing of genetically modified grains? I know that China has put up a lot of trade barriers when it comes to that. Is this being resolved or is there any attempt to resolve it? That was one of the top items on the list that we've provided to the administration is that needs to be fixed in this, uh, this next trade agreement with China. They have been bad players on this front. Uh, they've abused some loopholes. Uh, we think that that's a really important part of, of any trade agreement with China or any other nation is that genetically modified crops that have been proven by our government to be safe ought to be able to be freely traded around the world. So a few months ago, I'm going to our vending machine here at work and I buy some pretzels and it's got non-GMO on it. About that time, I go to Costco. They have all this non-GMO product. Are we losing the battle right in this country? Because it seems like consumer trends are kind of trending away from that. You know, I actually think we've kind of turned a corner in a lot of ways. You've seen Europe recently 
talk, you know, a little bit better about GMOs than they have in the past. And I think, you know, the, the trouble with the labeling is that there's a lot of things that don't have a GMO product that they could even use, but yet somebody's going to slap a label on there and mislead them into thinking that because they, you know, have a carrot, you know, or something like that in there that is not GMO, you know, it seems like they're branding just because of that versus, you know, what is the actual product that has even a genetically modified opportunity. I probably didn't explain that very well, but there's the, the misleading of the consumers in my mind is something that we've been dealing with for a long time. And it seems like anytime we slap more labels on things and we can continue to go down that road, you've got a nutrition fact label there that's been there for years. And really, to me, it comes down to you know the basics of that. But uh, consumer seems like they want to know more and more information. There's nothing wrong with that about what their product is and what they're buying. We just you know would like them to understand that GMOs are proven safe and we're going to certainly uh, continue to fight for the, the uh, ability to use those and export those and grow them because they're, they're safe products and they've certainly helped the, helped the farmer be more sustainable and a lot of other things. It was interesting. I was in a store a couple months ago and there was some cranberry juice that was gluten-free. So, you know, the marketers are the marketers are the marketers and food trends are fads. Showing my age a little bit, I remember, you know, back in the 60s, everybody drank a lot of milk because you know what? It was good for their ulcers. Everybody had ulcers. Well, how many people do you know today have ulcers? It's not because they changed their diet. It's because all of a sudden the fad was gone. And so, you know, some of these things will wax back and forth. But I know that the science is always on our side on on this issue. I point out that a a few years ago, there was about a three-year span where there were five pieces in the Washington Post op-ed page on GMO technology. And I always ask farmers, well, of the five, how, how many were negative and how many were positive? And they'll say all five were negative. Actually, uh, four were positive and one was so-so because the authors of those pieces had looked at the science. And so, I, you know, the science is there. There's a lot of people that understand that these are safe products. But the marketers are marketing for that person that sees that one little sign, that one little piece of paper on something. And that's an impulse to buy that instead of something else. And John hit the nail on the head. It's it's about absent claim marketing, really. And that's, you know, like I said, you've got your ingredient label, you've got a nutrition facts, but it's about what's in that product. But yet we now go out there and put anything on there that says what's not in it. And that list is miles long, actually, you know, of what's not in any product. But absent claim marketing is misleading to the consumer in general. And that's where I think the problem is from a general public standpoint. I don't know if it's a sound correlation or not, but I have seen some charts taking a look at the rate of obesity in the United States. And there was one article I read where it's exactly in line with the increase in consumption of high fructose corn syrup. Any concerns about that? You know, I've I've seen that as well. And there's also a similar line that shows the increase in obesity is also paralleled by the increase of consumption of organic foods. So which one is the one? You know, and I saw another study, and I I can substantiate this. Everybody who's ever eaten a carrot sooner or later will die. So, you know, this this obesity thing with high fructose corn syrup, it's crazy. When I was a kid uh, in central Montana, and we go to town on a Saturday, and my dad, if we were good, would let us have a pop at Bird Garage. It was an eight ounces, and you better make sure you put the bottle back in the rack. And that was what you had for pop. And now... That was once a week, if we were lucky. Now people drink a couple 16-ounce sodas a day and blame it on fructose. I'm sorry. That's just not, that isn't going to work. 
You know, we have an inside joke here at Successful Farming that when our letters to the editor page ever gets empty, we just write a story on climate change and it fills right up. And I uh, remember uh, talking, I think, with a person from NCGA about a year ago about a uh, relationship they had with the Environmental Defense Fund for uh, dealing with climate change, carbon sequestration, those kinds of things. Um, where are you at on that? Because I know there's a lot of farmers who will deny climate change, but on the other hand, they're getting hammered by rain or drought or environmental conditions. Any uh, potential there where one day they might be paid for uh, sequestering carbon? First of all, I think the climate's always changing. You can't ever say it's the same, right? So for all of us that, uh, however you think one way or the other, you know, every year's different as a farmer. So change happens, right? But what I can say is that there are opportunities from our perspective at NCGA and the, and the conversations we have in a lot of different places about how the farmer and, and corn in particular plays into that discussion. And a lot of it is about carbon sequestration and, and how, you know, we can make ethanol a carbon neutral or carbon negative fuel. You know, we're doing studies on our life cycle analysis where we can hopefully uh, be better partners with our uh, animal ag groups and with our life cycle and carbon discussion within corn, hopefully show the better greener practices through the, you know, through the farming practices of the grain, that the greenhouse gas is reduced in the cattle production and hogs and as well as poultry. So, you know, we're, we're working with our partners on those different things. Is it possible for us to get paid for that as, as growers? Certainly. You know, at some point, uh, there's a lot of companies actually out there right now that are looking at, at ways to capitalize on this. We've seen some of that in the past, though, as well, and, and some of these things didn't quite come to fruition. I do think that now with some of the technological advances that we've had and different ways we can track practices that are on the ground and through our precision farming practices, though, that this discussion has, has changed a little bit as well. And it's a little bit different now than it was even just, you know, five, ten years ago. And so I really do believe that um, that this discussion is going to be bigger, but farmers should be on the winning end of this thing for sure because the practices that we do, growing a crop that's sucking in CO2 and just using basic photosynthesis that we all know, but it really is is something that is good for the environment, and, and I think we can prove that. You asked about our MOU with, with the Environmental Defense Fund. We really view that partnership as being very valuable to us. Uh, I was in New York City a couple of weeks ago for their board of directors met, and I joined them for dinner. And at the dinner were some of their major funders, uh, very wealthy people from the East Coast. And one of them asked, what do you view as a, as a big threat outside of your demand issue? And I, I said, it's the loss of glyphosate or Roundup. And he said, well, what would happen if you lost glyphosate? And I said, it would set back our sustainability 25 to 30 years. And what was interesting is, is that the next voice that I heard was one of their senior staff people who said, John is absolutely right. If farmers lose glyphosate, they're going to have to change their farming practices to something that's not as sustainable as what they have right now. Glyphosate is a safe product, and farmers absolutely have to have it in order to do no-till or conservation tillage. That's the kind of thing that we want to have is where we have these partnerships where we have mutual trust, mutual respect, and understanding where one another's coming from. EDF has come a long ways in their ability to work with us. But one of the things that they will say over and over again to their fellow environmental groups is farmers absolutely have to have a profit in order to be able to go ahead and continue to do the right thing on the ground. There's been uh, some controversy in a checkoff in the beef 
sector with charges flying back and forth. And I know that the uh, corn checkoff, there's no national one, but there are numerous state checkoffs. How can corn farmers be assured that their checkoffs are going to where they're supposed to be and garnering new uses and markets for their product? A lot of that's communication on our end, making sure that the farmer members see that through different publications and communication channels that we have. But I can tell you that the farmer boards, you know, these are led by farmers as well. I think that's part of the design to begin with in a lot of this is that, you know, these people are looking out for your own business in the same way that anybody else would. And so when you're looking out for your own industry, I think that creates a level of trust as well that you have, you know, you have people that are doing the same thing you do every day that are the ones in charge of this. So that's a big deal there. These checkoffs are also looked at or run through or by the state departments of ag typically and things like that. So you've got other checks and balances that are within those. But uh, I can tell you from my experience, you know, everything we do every day and the decisions we make are, are based on future corn grower profitability and how we actually think about that moving the needle for the for the producer out there. And so we try to do a good job of communicating how those dollars are spent and utilized and, and how they're really, they are promoting the products that, that we're producing. But we always got to, you know, have the farmer out there asking those questions and, and learning about it too. And hopefully we're all doing this thing together. More farmers are feeling a real credit crunch. Input consolidation, low commodity prices, and land ownership all come into play. But if you're feeling it, you know that. That's why technology-driven modern lenders like Ag Resource Management are becoming the future of operational cash flow. Meet the alternative lenders at armlend.com and get funded with crop-based loans and insurance that get you capital based on your ability to grow and nothing else. Visit armland.com today because next season won't wait. Their attentive market leaders make lending decisions faster and get you capital quicker. Get funded today and seize next season at armland.com, the future of ag lending. That's A-R-M-L-E-N-D.com. I was at a dinner a couple of weeks ago when uh, farm policy came up and uh, one of my uh, Dinner guests remarked on the farm program of Senator Elizabeth Warren, which was taking land out of production, set aside, and going on in that. And I reminded her that there was also a free market president in 1983 by the name of Ronald Reagan, who his administration instituted the PIC program, which took land out of production. We're washing corn right now. Is that an option for the corn growers, or would you stand against any land reduction program? We looked at the CRP program in the past. We've had discussions on that in our policy discussions with growers, uh, you know, plenty of times. It comes up probably annually in our in our delegate sessions. But I can tell you that farmers want to grow for the free market. And so I think we would much rather focus on the demand side of it from NCGA and the states and trying to figure out how we can create that sustainable demand picture so we're always growing and, and not seeing those types of programs implemented again. Supply management from a governmental standpoint is typically a, a policy that doesn't work very well. There are some instances that, that we still do that from the government, but uh, I can tell you that I sure as heck don't want to see that in the corn world. Supply management over and over again has proven to make, provide opportunities for folks that produce the same crops around the world. Are there any tweaks that NCGA would like to see done in the crop insurance program? I know there's uh, a lot of adverse weather around this year and farmers are going to be relying on that? You know, we have been very innovative in our approach to crop insurance, and we've been uh, at the forefront of proposing new ideas uh, to the crop insurance system. 
there's a lot of tweaks. Uh, you know, we have a good basic system now. There are always, every every farm bill, there's three or four or five things that we'd like to tweak in the crop insurance program. But I think it's remarkable and how successful it has been that we're still just doing tweaks rather than asking for a complete overhaul. So, you know, there's things like uh, if you plant a GMO crop that has shown to be drought resistant, you, can you get a break on your crop insurance premiums? Those kinds of things. There's a lot of things out there that are really good things that we've recognized. And uh, I think that this administration and previous administrations have been very helpful in working with us to get those tweaks. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think uh, I would say this about a lot of our policies in general that NCGA works on and lobbies on. It's the fact that, you know, the production practices change over the years and farmers adapt to different conditions, either for the marketplace or for the weather or to just change their um, uh, change their operation economically. And so what happens within that is, though, that we as an organization have to adapt our policies and the growers are the ones that set those policies, but they change, right? They change to be more relevant throughout whatever time period we're in. And and uh, I think, you know, as John mentioned, we've looked at the crop insurance program over the years in many different cases and had little tweaks. And we certainly aren't, you know, aren't looking to change anything in any major fashion anytime soon. We think it's a program that certainly functions very, very well in its current form and, and has protected a lot of people from, you know, major, major losses. And there's a lot of little things that we would yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure we will continue to look at whether it's pilot programs or different things within that uh, for cover crops. I think there's some things right now that we're doing there that we'll continue to look at. But uh, the program is such an essential piece and such an essential tool in the in the farmer's you know toolbox of risk management. It, it always ranks highly among our members as to one of the things that we need to protect and, and uh, fight hard for. I've asked you a lot about uh, some threats and concerns to corn growers, trades, tariffs. Any one certain point for optimism that corn growers can be optimistic about going into 2020 in the future? I think there's lots of points for optimism, and and one of them is just yeah being done with 2019. But uh, we're out there fighting for demand, and I, I hope the one of the optimistic pieces is that they've got people on their side every day. Whether they're not able to be in Washington D.C., they're not necessarily able to be having the conversations with the uh, downstream marketers or or overseas that we do. But hopefully that's a very positive thought for them, knowing they've got people um, working on these issues every day for them and in different offices and you know around the world and also in our home offices and different places like that but uh optimism there for sure and that's that's why i think this organization is so unique and certainly you know a lot of optimism in general for corn as a product i think you're seeing a recognition a almost renaissance of people in the consumer uh, hopefully understanding how valuable corn is in so many different products and so many different pieces of our economy and I think um, one of the things that we do at NCGA and, and we're trying to do more of is just highlighting how important this is to our entire U.S. economy and not just not just rural America. You know, we talk about air quality with ethanol and other things like that that affect so many people and food prices, things like that, that we are a big piece of keeping those economic dollars turning and in their own pocket here in, uh, here in America. And so those are great stories to tell. There's a lot of positive stories with sustainability as well. As you mentioned earlier with the agreement with EDF and our MOU with them, we're creating a better front-facing look for corn and the corn industry than I think has been out there in a while. And so I'm excited about that, and I hope corn farmers are too. I'm very optimistic. You take a look at our conversations we've had with the environmental community, and we're going to continue to have some of these in, into 2020. And they are convincing me that there's a lot of opportunity out there. You want to sell into an emerging and a growing market. And the emerging and growing market for farmers right now is, is the ability to sequester carbon in the soil. Some years ago, we had a marketplace that paid farmers maybe $4 an acre. 
that number is going to be much different. There's going to at least be at least a zero behind that four in the future. And it might be $100 an acre. You know, the ability for us to do that with the corn plant is enormous. And that's the number one issue for a lot of voters right now. It's the number one issue for a lot of people running for president on the Democratic side of the aisle. That's a market that we want to get into. You know, when you have an opportunity like that, don't be afraid of the opportunity. Go to the marketplace. And that's going to be driven by corporations and private industry that is going to be purchasing these. It's not going to be a federal mandate. It's going to be the free market system is going to create a market and that marketplace is going to be pretty robust and farmers that are paying attention are going to have a great opportunity to make some money doing what they've already been doing. Is there anything I haven't asked you? We've got a lot of things you haven't asked, Gil, but uh, <laughs> I guess just lastly for me that, you know, it's exciting to be in the position representing a lot of growers across the country. And I certainly feel fortunate to be there and be able to put corn on, on some of these stages and talk to folks about the importance of our job as farmers and what we do out there and, and really, you know, talk about the opportunities for, you know, for us and, and future growth of these markets. So humbled by that and certainly fortunate to do that and hope we continue to do, uh, to represent farmers well on the job that they're doing out there. Thanks, Gil Gullickson, John Doggett, and Kevin Ross for your insights on issues that affect our country's corn growers. This 2020 Farm Health and Wealth episode was brought to you by Ag Resource Management. For successful farming, I'm Jody Henke.